Welcome to Time After Time, a non-sponsored, highly judgmental podcast about time travel and love and friendship and the movies that bring them together into our living rooms. I'm Helena and I'm Paige. And maybe in an alternate timeline, you've already listened to this podcast and you loved it. Let's go. This movie doesn't deserve a song. No, honestly, it doesn't. It was so bad. <laughs> it doesn't. It so doesn't deserve ways. the cranberries either. It definitely doesn't deserve Although, the cranberries. A, I mean, we'll just start off. What a weird choice for a song to be your song. Yeah, "Linger" by the Cranberries. Not, uh, not exactly what right. you'd think of. It's, it's about someone cheating on you. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm such a fool for you. Right. But but they were like, hey. We can get the lead singer of the Cranberries in, so. Right. Yeah, rest in peace. R.I.P. Should we tell the people uh, what we're doing? Yeah. If you haven't figured it out by now, if you weren't immediately like, oh, yeah, I remember Linger by the Cranberries, (laughs) we're doing the 2006 Adam Sandler vehicle. Click. Also, if you haven't been able to tell, Helena and I are in separate places. We are, yes. I'm coming at you from the great state of Maine this time. And I'm coming at you from the pretty rude state of New Jersey. Oh. <laughs> Where's your Jersey pride, Paige? Um, we were actually just named by some like Fox News survey, as New Jersey, as the least patriotic state. Wow. Yeah. I'm actually surprised by that. Yeah, you'd think it'd I'm be like sure New York. I'm not sure what I would think would be the least patriotic state, but I wonder what the what the metric was. I mean, it's Fox News, so it's probably just like a person typing the it out on a keyboard was the metric. Yeah. But... <laughs> I had an ex from New Jersey and I hated them, so they're the least patriotic state. Uh, New York was number two. California was number three, if you were curious. I actually really was. Thank you for telling me. <laughs> You're welcome. I don't know anything beyond that. Speaking of patriotic, patriotism is a good segue to the timeliness of this movie, which we we didn't do on purpose when we picked it. But um, oh, you're right. It is technically a Fourth of July movie. It is sort of a Fourth of July movie. It, te- it takes place on the weekend before Fourth of July, July second exactly. Actually, his wife says at the end, which is today. Oh well, would you look at that? Yeah. Look at us. Also, my parents' wedding anniversary. Oh, all right. Happy. Almost 4th of July. Yeah, happy almost 4th of July and past 4th of July by the time this comes out. Yes, and happy 2006 July 2nd to Adam Sandler sure. and his wife. Yes, absolutely. His fake wife. His fake wife. Uh, did you? Do you guys have any plans for the 4th? Um, we are going to have a barbecue, I think. That's nice. Yeah, what about you? Um, no, there's fire. I mean, there's like the county fair and fireworks and stuff but i Are doubt go i doubt it will call to me um the only reason i would have gone is like if like i was going with christine or something but she's in boston for the rest of the weekend but shout out to christine for watching this train wreck with me last night <laughs> i will sprinkle some of her thoughts in uh yeah i hope you will i also watched this with friends because um since i am in maine i uh am working on a show up here and i'm living with some other actors and uh stephen shore who uh, has been mentioned on this podcast several times um he was watched- clock initiator 
originator. Doomsday Clock Initiator, Originator, Suggester, Stephen Shore, uh, did watch this movie with me. Uh, he also thought it was bad, but he did watch the whole thing. That's a good friend. Grace Experience watched some of it, but did not stay for the whole thing. Bad friend. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Bad friend. That's what everyone says about her. <laughs> Grace Experience also wanted us to do a deep dive on the Natalie Wood uh, death, mysterious death, because Christopher Walken was on the boat and is in this movie. When Natalie Wood drowned mysteriously. When Natalie Wood drowned mysteriously. Christopher Walken was on the boat and is also in this movie. But I I think that would be a whole podcast in itself, so... Yeah, I think that there's a possibility that Grace will do this podcast, uh, do do that podcast herself. We don't want to take that from her. Right. But if you are interested and had never heard about Natalie Wood's Mysterious Drowning, now we've at least mentioned it so you can run out and Google and fall down a rabbit hole. Yeah. Enjoy. Shall we then do our podcast and do the summary? You know, I think we shall. We meet Michael, played by Adam Sandler, at a time when he is not loving life. His dick of a boss at the architecture firm doesn't appreciate all the hard work he's putting in. He has a nice house, a super hot wife named Donna, played by Kate Beckinsale, and two cute kids. But they also don't appreciate that he has to work super hard to make a butler more money to fill a hole in his heart left by some very mild childhood trauma. One night, frustrated at not understanding what remotes go to what in the house, he goes to Bed Bath & Beyond for a universal remote. He discovers the Beyond section and encounters Morty, played by Christopher Walken, who gives him a special new universal remote, strangely free and unreturnable. Michael takes it home and accidentally discovers that not only does it control his TV, but it also controls life in similar ways. He can fast forward through arguments and illness, pause or mute the world around him, and rewind his childhood. Michael is enjoying his newfound powers and uses them to make his life marginally better and cause some mischief. When his boss delays his promotion once again, he gets frustrated and fast forwards to said promotion, thinking it will just be a couple months. Instead, it seems to be that approximately a year and a half or so, maybe a little more, a little less, um, have passed. His kids are slightly older. He and his wife are in marriage counseling, and the family dog has died. Michael is freaked out and does not like this. The remote has now learned Michael's preferences and begins fast-forwarding automatically. When Michael's boss implies that he could be promoted to CEO one day, Michael gets fast-forwarded 10 years until that promotion. Michael is now super rich, very fat, and divorced. He discovers that his kids are now unhappy teenagers and his wife has remarried. When the family dog knocks him unconscious, he fast-forwards another six years through multiple illnesses since he fast-forwarded through a sickness early on. It turns out he was in a coma, then had cancer, then a heart attack, and also a lot of liposuction in between. In the meantime, his son has entered the family architecture business, and his father, played by the incomparable Henry Winkler, has passed away. Michael uses the remote to go back to the last time he saw his father, and he sees that he blew him off because he had to work. While Michael is mourning his dead dad, Morty reveals that he is not a Bed Bath & Beyond employee, but actually the angel of death. 
Distraught, Michael asks the remote to take him to a good place, and it takes him several more years into the future to his son's wedding. He and his ex-wife are dancing to their song, which again, Linger by the Cranberries, this time sung by the lead singer of the Cranberries, when Michael has another heart attack. He weirdly doesn't skip through this illness, and he wakes up in the hospital. His family is there, and he finds out that his son is canceling his honeymoon to deal with a work crisis. Against doctor's orders, Michael chases his son into the parking lot, telling him with his dying breath to go on his honeymoon and that family comes first. He dies. Michael wakes up in Bed Bath & Beyond, back to the present day he left at the beginning of the movie. He runs home, embraces his kids and his wife, and promises to switch his priorities and spend more time with them. He sees the remote on his kitchen counter with a note from Morty that he's giving Michael a second chance because, quote unquote, good guys need a break. Michael throws the remote away. The end. The end. This brings us to Blast Blast from from the Past. Yep, that was good. So Kate Beckinsale, I thought, did a very good job as Donna Newman, way too hot for Adam Sandler. Um, Way too hot for Adam Sandler. uh, But it turns out before her, both Lauren Graham and Drew Barrymore turned down the part. I'm Eh, Wise. But I'm surprised Drew – I mean, Drew Barrymore, like, loves being Adam Sandler's wife. Yeah, they have have worked together in the past. Yeah. uh, Notably in 51st States. And The Wedding Singer. And The Wedding Singer, Mm -hmm. you're right. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe she was busy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think Lauren Graham also would have been fine. Uh, yeah, she would have been good. Yeah. How I was wondering about what the age difference between him and Kate Beckinsale was. Okay, great. I'm on it. Okay, Kate Beckinsale's 47. Adam Sandler is 54. So seven years. So okay, that's not that bad. She no. did look very young for him. Well, she's just very hot, and and also just very hot. I have to say, shout out to the uh, makeup artist in this movie. I thought they did a really good job of aging them. The age was really good. I did, yeah. All right, I didn't think so. You, don't, you disagree? I thought like they did a good job of like Henry Winkler. Although it's funny because yeah. now it's twenty twenty one, which is the year, right? Yeah, and he does not look that old at all. That's right. <laughs> um, but I thought I didn't think they did a great job with Adam Sandler. I don't know. No, okay, maybe not Adam Sandler, but definitely Kate Beckinsale. Yeah, and uh, and the, his parents. Yeah. Um, don't worry, people agreed with you. This was nominated for best makeup at the 79th Annual Academy Awards. The Oscars. Oh well, there you there you go. This is an Oscar people nominated agree with movie. Me. People who know agree with me, so everyone can just calm aren't, down. Aren't you glad that this is an Oscar nominated movie? Yeah, the Oscars mean a lot. Clearly. <laughs> As we established in our last episode with many Oscar-nominated and winning folks yes. in that movie. The director makes a cameo, um, I mean more than a cameo, honestly, in my opinion, as the nurse who attempts to sedate Michael in the hospital at the end, but ends up sedating himself. Oh, that's, that's kind of a, a, a part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as previously stated, there is a cameo uh, from the lead singer of the Cranberries. Um, she sings... The aforementioned linger at the wedding that they are dancing to. Um, also, one of the little girls at the lake during young Michael's flashback when he's at the lake with his parents um, is Kate Beckinsale's daughter. Oh, that's cute. Also, I want to mention not a fun fact. I don't have a fun fact about this, but Terry Crews. Did you? Did you? See- Terry Crews was in this. Yes. yes, he has a very fun scene where he's just like singing. Yes. 
Apparently that was a reference to white chicks. Oh, I've never seen white chicks. Yeah, according to um, Stephen or Ray, who's the other person who watched this movie with me, um, it's a reference to white chicks, which I, I, okay. I've seen, but like not since, I don't know, middle school. Well, so I didn't remember. That Apparently there were a lot of references in like the Adam Sandler universe here. Okay, so here are some Adam Sandler universe references. There's an asshole kid in the film mm-hmm. who lives next door named Kevin O'Doyle. Yes, um, yes. apparently Which is the one. Yes. Okay. Uh, also, the name of the bullies in Billy Madison are always like O'Doyle rules. Yeah, or something. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen Billy Madison. Yes, this was one of the facts that um, the people who are watching this movie with me told me, and I was like, I would not have known that. Yeah. It's a it's a Sandler universe in joke. Also, Eric Lamenzoff is mentioned in the film. I don't, don't even know, who, know that who that no idea who that like don't remember him being mentioned, but apparently he's mentioned, and that's also the name of Kevin James's character in Grown Ups and Grown Ups 2. And the name is also mentioned in The Wedding Singer. What is is that like a name of a person, or is that's just like their name of their name of a guy when they want to make up a name of a guy? You now know everything I know. Okay, great. <laughs> I I like the idea that if you want to make up a name of a guy, you always have one on on hand. Also, when uh, Michael almost passes on a, a project from his boss. Also, by the way, played by David Hasselhoff. I just feel like we should mention. Oh yes, very important to note. <laughs> um, uh, he says the boss. His boss says, "I'll put Swartzen on it." Uh, Nick Swartzen is a good friend of Adam Sandler's and also is in this movie. Um, So I think that's supposed to be a reference to him. He plays the Bed Bath & Beyond guy who says he needs a friend. Oh, that's nice. If you are someone who really finds like special effects and CGI stuff interesting, there is this, the Wikipedia article super goes into how they did all the stuff. I'm not one of those people. (laughs) The only part of it that I pulled out that I found interesting um, was when it comes to the scenes where Michael pauses surroundings, the effects Mm -hmm. crew originally planned for everything to be frozen. Uh, However, they found that this quote unquote bothered the eye. So they switched it so that only the characters are frozen while the environment, such as leaves on the trees being blown by the wind are kept in motion. Okay. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. I would not have thought of that. That's why I'm not a visual effects person. That's the only reason. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's the only thing keeping me. uh, In 1995, R.L. Stein wrote a very similar story in his Tales to Give You Goosebumps, um, which Mm. almost the exact same plot, and it was called Click. Oh. Scholastic, who publishes Goosebumps, um, almost sued Uh Adam Sandler and the film's producers, but both parties agreed the entire situation was a coincidence, so no legal action was taken. Even though the name was the same? Yes. I bet Sandler paid him off. Couldn't tell you. They said, <laughs> they said, coinky dink? Coinky dink. That's, that's, that's it. Um, that's what they decided. There's also a French tale called The Magic Thread that people think that both of these could have been based on, um, in which uh-huh. a boy is able to pull a thread to speed up the parts of his life he doesn't like, and then he finds himself an old man before being given a second chance. All right. All right, some other fun facts. 
Easter eggs, whatever you will. Uh, the coin trick that Henry Winkler does in the movie, very cute, is very something cute. that the actor does in real life. Uh, during public appearances, Aww. Winkler will often do the trick for children. That's so sweet. Yeah. He seems like a great man. From everything I've yeah. heard, he seems like a delight. Also, the names of some of the crew members are visible on a few headstones at the graveyard scene near the end of the film. Cool. That's fun. There was also a reference to some other movie. These are, this is a reference to Party of Five, which is not an Adam Sandler vehicle, is it? So strange. I, I don't, I've never heard of Party of Five. I don't know what that Party is. Party of Five is, it's like a movie about kids whose parents die and they have to like raise themselves or something. Is it like the boxcar children? <laughs> no, but it, I, but what okay. if it was? It was a drama, it wasn't even a movie. It was a, it was a TV show in 1994 after their parents die in a car accident, the five Salinger siblings are forced to live on their own with oldest son Charlie appointed the guardian of his brothers and sisters. But I don't... Do they live in a, in a boxcar? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. And also, Adam Sandler is not in this. But on one of the gravestones are the names Nick and Diana Salinger, the parents from Party of Five. Wow. Maybe he just really likes Party of Five? Maybe the person who like had to make all the graves likes Party of Five? Maybe that's that's probably more possible. Maybe Adam Sandler had nothing to do with it. Maybe yeah. the person who had to make the graves worked on Party of Five. Maybe they had the grave already because the parents were dead. In Party oh, of Five. yeah, maybe. Okay. okay all right. Great. These are all really good theories. I'm really glad we explored this. <laughs> so there's a scene where Michael, you know, like I mentioned, goes back and sees him and his parents on the lake he used to go to as a kid. It's called Winnipesaukee. And um, it is probably a place he actually went to growing up because it's 50 miles north of Manchester, New Hampshire, where he grew up. Oh, I didn't know Adam Sandler was from New Hampshire. Yeah. Live free or die, you know? I suppose. I feel like that's – do you think that's probably why he uh, wrote the Hanukkah song? Because, like, he grew up with no other Jews around him? Um. I feel like there's not a lot of Jews in Manchester, New Hampshire. Do you think there's a lot of operas? <laughs> like, <laughs> Those were his two best uh, SNL bits, in my opinion. Yeah. This is actually interesting, I think. But I'm a, a, a word nerd. Uh, Tell us. So Morty is eventually revealed to be the angel of death. And he says, like, call me Morty in the beginning. Uh-huh. Mortis is the Latin word for death and is the basis oh. for such words as mortician, rigor mortis, mortality, etc. Uh, okay. So my theory about that name before you said that, that's very cool. Um, my theory about his name was that it was a reference to um, Back to the Future. But then I realized that the guy's name in Back to the Future is Marty, not Morty. He's wearing like a very Doc Brown outfit and his whole like character seems to be sort of Doc Brown based. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that his name being Morty was for that reason. What, while we're talking about it, what did you think of his acting choices in this movie? I felt like he wasn't making any. But also a lot. Does that make really? sense? <laughs> <laughs> he was being like the most Christopher Walken that's ever Christopher Walken. 
Yeah, he I, was I doing guess. a Christopher Walken impression. Yes, he was doing a Christopher. It felt like he was doing a Christopher Walken impression. I guess that's why I felt like he wasn't making any choices. I felt like he was just like resting on his like people like me doing my my Christopher Walken thing. But some of his line readings were so strange. I don't know. To be honest, like I had a lot of trouble with this movie. I I was pretty upset the whole <laughs> almost the whole time. So I wasn't really paying attention to the acting choices. Okay. Also, there was a website for the movie. Like, you know, they did a big promotion website with uh, you know, a bunch of stuff, trailers, etc. But there was also apparently you could create your own control your universe poster, and I did try to see if this website is still active and it is not as far as I can tell. What uh, does that mean? I don't know because it's not active. I uh, assume it's like you put yourself sort of in the poster for the movie. That sounds fun. I like yeah. to do that. You probably yeah. like that sounds pretty like you could do that in 2006. You just like put a upload a photo of yourself and it like goes in the spot where Adam Sandler is. That sounds great. I would like to I would like to see that. I wish it was still around. Yeah. Reception of this movie is not great. It is has a 34% uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And the consensus reads, this late, latest Adam Sandler vehicle borrows shamelessly from It's a Wonderful Life and Back to the Future and fails to produce the necessary laughs that would forgive such imitation. Yeah. I mean, oh. I think that's a pretty apt uh, assessment. Um, what was your relationship to this movie? Like, because it came out in 2006. So mm-hmm. I felt like it was one of those movies where it was like, early being allowed to see PG-13 movies for our generation. Mm -hmm. And, like, people were like, this movie is really good. I had this – people – I remember – I never saw this movie until now. But um, I remember – what grade were we in? We had just – so Christine and I did this math last night to try to figure out which boyfriend she was dating and went to this movie with. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it is very – it was June of 2006. It was the summer between our seventh and eighth grade years. Okay, yeah. So we were literally just turning 13. Right. We were turning 13. We were allowed to go to the movies by ourselves, that kind of thing. And I remember for some reason people being like, this movie is actually really good. And like it made me cry because it was very sad. Christine did cry. <laughs> she did? Yeah. Uh, at the- in, in, in present day? <laughs> uh, afterwards, I was like, we were Christine, we you softy. <laughs> we were talking about how basic, like, spoiler alert, at, by the end we were like, yeah, I mean, so also you had, you watched it before I did. So you were like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. So I went in probably with lower expectations than sure. So it didn't, I didn't hate it as much as I planned to because I was uh-huh. anticipating every word making me want to die. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> it, it is very bad. Uh, it is like a cool concept wrapped up in like a lot of misogyny, uh, racism, fat phobia, transphobia, homophobia. homophobia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, classic early aughts but um but there were parts like there were moments where I was entertained and there were moments like for me the closest I got to like feeling things was in the the last Henry Winkler scene when he's like yeah that was yeah Um, yeah, but a touching scene apparently the scene that Christine said she cried at was the scene where like Adam Sandler dies and everyone's like crying around him which I was like okay come on (laughs) no offense to Christine but also Come on. We did also, we did have, we had drunk one of those weird double 
white cloth things before. So. Okay, fair. Yeah, that would probably make me cry too. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Anyway, uh, there were some positive reviews. Some people called it touching and funny for a Sandler comedy. Some people said it was had some smart ideas. People liked Kate Beckinsale's performance. Um said it had a good third act. I think also part of it was like people were like, well, for an Adam Sandler movie. Yeah, I think that that was kind of the vibe was like people were like, well, it's kind of a serious Adam Sandler movie because he like Mm -hmm. dies at the end. Yeah, it did fine in the box offices. And it was then it was overshadowed by like big blockbusters like Superman Returns and Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, Dead Man's mm-hmm. Chest coming out. Um, Dead Man's Chest. Also, The Devil Wears Prada came out in its second weekend. And um, oh. I don't know if – I don't think they were pulling the same audience. I just thought that was fun. Um, <laughs> but all that to say, this movie did have in uh, an audience that was less, like, teen male skewed than previous Adam Sandler movies. Like, okay. uh, the people coming out, it was more like half and half gender roles and mm-hmm, a lot mm-hmm. more people who were like over the age of 25. So 51% gotcha. of the attendees were female and 50% were over the age of 25, which is not was not the case for typical Adam Sandler. So yeah, so I think the like the marketing of it as like a a more serious, heartfelt romantic film did work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I said, this movie was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Makeup. Um, it won the People's Choice Award for Favorite Movie Comedy that year. Oh wow! Uh, it also won a two 2000- thousand. The People's Choice. I, I guess. I guess they get to decide. It came out the same year as The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> Listen, the people have spoken. <laughs> okay. Adam Sandler won Favorite Movie Actor at the Kids' Choice Awards. Um, it was also nominated for favorite movie at, at the Kids Choice Awards and favorite comedy at the Teen Choice Awards. Did not win, I guess. Um, it was also listed. This is under accolades. It was also listed uh, on Variety's uh, list of Adam Sandler's ten worst movies ever. Oh, cool! All right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, also the wedding scene. At Ben's wedding in the future, this is back to like Easter egg type things that I forgot about. The Freedom Tower can be seen in the New York City skyline, except there are two oh. towers. There you see like two Freedom Towers, which obviously would have been like a CGI projection in 2006. And that was like the idea was like, um, this is what they think they're going to build. Yeah, this is what they hadn't like made the plans for it yet. Right. right. I think they had decided at that point that there would be something there. Mm -hmm. Um, so this was like a projection of the New York city skyline in, it's supposed to be at that point, I think like 2025, let's say. Okay. Um, also I did love the hooded wedding dress fashion that is predicted for 2025. I'm very excited that in, uh, four years we're all going to be wearing light up hooded wedding dresses. Yeah. I mean, because all the rest of it was definitely accurate. (laughs) I mean, yeah, definitely. Yeah. They they hit the nail on the head. So, yeah. All right, that's what I got. Shall we? Cool. Move on? Thank you. Thank you for that. Let's do You're it. Welcome. Ready? Yep. Magic. Science. Just, Just a dream. dream. Nailed it. <laughs> no notes. Did so good on that one. It's a remote. And at first, uh, when he woke up 
from his dream. I was like, we finally got a dream one. But turns out, no. No. The note from Morty shows back up to be like, that was all real. It was real, but also not confusing. More of like a warning? It was real, but then he he's like, all right, we're resetting. We're resetting it. You get to try again. Do you think it got reset because he learned his lesson? Yeah. Is that why? Yeah. Because he, by the end, was like, I'm a better person, so now he's allowed to have a reset? Yeah. Because good guys deserve a chance, and now he, I guess, is considered a good guy. I guess. Yeah. It's, um, I guess, magic because we find out Morty is the angel of death. Um, I also magic, but it's like a, it's sort of a spiritual magic similar to our last film, Winter's Tale. Spiritual magic through technology. Yes. (laughs) Um, I also love that the angel of death is just hanging out at a bed, bath and beyond. That's awesome. Um, This was a commercial for bed, bath and beyond. Yes. I I do just an infomercial. (laughs) I did laugh at beyond like i did laugh at the beyond section that is funny and that's then a good way joke. beyond uh also uh i will have you know that uh, a former guest of the pod paul fari loves to call bed bath and beyond bed bath and be jesus but why i don't know it's just his favorite joke <laughs> okay like like bejesus like you scared the bejesus out of me or like yeah be like space jesus no 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 like bejesus okay Okay. Just just a fun fact. Great. I'm so glad that that is in my brain. Um, yeah. So basically, the remote works uh, sort of like our smartphones do now in that it uses our- A lot of functions. Well, no. I more meant like it is uh, uses its memory and like things we've done in the past to like uh, execute our preferences- he calls it Mevo. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a machine learning. Yeah, it's a it's a smart algorithm, uh, that, AI system. Yeah, that figures out what to that figures out what to sell you on Instagram. So um, it's so the funny part about this is that it seems like it's several things. Like it seems like it's science at first because it's yes, like the technology. mad scientist vibes. Yeah, the technology, and then it seems like it's a dream because he wakes up, and then it turns out no, it's magic. So we actually yeah. kind of get everything. Yeah. And yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess we are sort of categorizing uh, like religion and spirituality as magic, which maybe people would take issue with. I guess it's not religion, but like the, the idea of like angels. Spirituality. Indeed, spirituality. Yeah. Angel is a, yeah. I, I would put it in that category. Yeah. But if you have, if you want to take issue with that, you you can come speak to me about how you would prefer to be categorized. Yes, please go, go to Maine and speak with Helena. Yeah, you here. have to come speak to me in person. <laughs> Say it to my face. <laughs> Christine also pointed it out. Like, even at the beginning, the remote is sort of like a smartphone in that, like, he always has it with him and it controls everything. Because, like, we also, we were like, yeah, remember having 14 remotes? Um, now you can control everything from your phone. Everything that he picked up a remote to true. control, you could have con- controlled from your phone. That's a good point. So this we're movie, living in the future. Well, this movie, it's so funny because like it's like fu- the futuristic stuff when it's supposed to be like 2023 and stuff is mm-hmm. not accurate. But they did predict how smartphones and smart technology would work. That That's a fair point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Except I can't pause people in real life. Not yet. Not yet. But soon. It also is so interesting to me because they discuss it 
both Morty and um, Michael discuss the remote's preferences and settings, right? And all the auto fast forward stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm just sort of like, if that's what it is, you should be able to change it, your settings and preferences. So like he never, because he tries to give the remote right, back at think, one point. Right? Yeah, he tries to give the remote back at one point, which he can't do, but he never asks Morty like, cool, is there a way in the menu to change my preferences or my settings? <laughs> uh, no. No. Well, I mean, sometimes you, you can't change it. It's just in the terms and conditions. That's, I, I guess so. It just seems like, like you should have asked. Instagram is, is watching you all the time. Sure. But even on Instagram, at least on like Apple phones now, they are like, you want us to keep tracking your data? And you're like, can you please not? And they're like, no, we're going to do it anyway. But you can at least ask. <laughs> it's very stupid. But what if we didn't? Maybe. We'll think about it. This movie is very like technology time capsule, though, because like the 14 remotes, the DVD yeah. menu. Uh, oh, yeah. I love that, actually. Yeah. That no, was one too. of my favorite parts. Yeah. yeah. The it was a whole a whole DVD style menu that pops up when he hits menu, and he could go and find chapters of his life. Which like we don't even have like scrolling through chapters. Remember fast forwarding through chapters on DVDs? Yeah, yeah. you can't. You don't do that anymore. Netflix no. doesn't have that. No, and also the commentary. Like he did like a a, a commentary track where it's James. Oh Earl yeah, Jones. that was fun too. Yeah. Um. I yeah. There was a lot of fun they did have a lot of fun with the concept like i'm glad they really Definitely, utilized yeah. every like he at one point changes the color tint like they really utilized every aspect of a remote yeah it was fun when they in, in the part where he was having a good time with the remote i was like all right this movie's kind of fun yeah um i mean you know i always love it when they like do a time travel antic yeah of course um, a lot and there's a few minutes in there where we're getting like antic after antic after antic which yeah, and that's fun. great. I also liked when he finally faced consequences because I was like, this guy sucks. Right. So that was good. Yeah. The only moment where I was like, oh, I mean, I guess it would be nice to have the remote in several instances, but I like that he could go back and like rewatch his last moments with his dad over and over. I was like, yeah, it would be nice to have this remote for dead parent purposes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And like it would be it would be cool to be able to watch like good moments in your life or yeah. yeah it would be bad for anxiety because i would go back and be like did i really say that thing Ooh, yeah yeah that's true but also like he uses it he uses this so poorly and i guess we can in the next section i can tell you all the ways i think he could have used it and just like kept living his life yeah let's move on to the okay. next section and talk about that what, what have, have you, you done? done? Um, so here we'll sort of talk about time travel consistency, plot holes, ethics, stupidity choices. <laughs> First, I want to lay out a timeline that I think will maybe be helpful as we talk about this. That would be helpful. Please do. So after he's jumped for 10 years, someone says it's 2017, which okay. means that when he's he what he's jumped from is 2007. This movie was made in 2000. It was released in 2006. So I'm going to say when they filmed it, it was, let's say, 2005, right? So which is why I'm saying that I think it's about a year and a half based on- The all- first jump. Right. The mm-hmm. first jump yeah, is okay, about a year it. and a half. Yeah. And then it's 2007. Then we jump 10 years to 2017. Then we jump six more years, which means we're in 2023. Um, And then 
then it jumps just like several years to his son's wedding. So we can call that approximately 2025. Okay, great. Thank you. I really do appreciate that. Mm -hmm. The biggest for me time travel inconsistency is why he fast forward. One of the things he fast forwards through is being sick. In the very beginning, he has a cold. He fast forwards a couple days till he's not sick anymore. Then he has to skip like six years because they say he was like never not sick for a day in those six years. Why wouldn't he fast forward through his recovery process of having the heart attack? Yeah, I I think that that is the biggest thing. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, maybe – I don't know. Well, I guess the the question is what is is being sick? Like is it just like suffering bodily – Bodily suffering? Because in that case, that doesn't make sense. That's his second heart attack. He had the first heart attack in a time. Oh, and it passed through. through that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's true. That's true. Um, I don't know. Maybe the angel of death. Here's The other thing is they can get out of it because it's the angel of death. It's not like, you know what I mean? Like the angel of death could be like, well, I want you to feel this part. I don't care. Like ultimately, Christopher Walken gets to decide the rules. So he just gets to decide. My biggest question was, why does Christopher Walken want this man to have such a bad time? I think he's trying to teach him a lesson. Yeah, but, like, it seems like after the first two time jumps, he's, like, good, you know? Yeah, but maybe he knows that, like... to lead him all the way to his death? I think maybe, like, he knows, like, he has to complete the, like, he has to die before he can start over. Right? Because, like, what what Adam Sandler just misses 10 years or whatever it is. Let's say, like, yeah, let's say Adam Sandler just misses 10 years of his life. And then Christopher Walken's like, okay, you learned your lesson. I'm going to leave you alone now. And Adam Sandler just lives the rest of his life and then dies I mean, he might. He might do that. I don't know. It seems like it's a better deal for Adam Sandler for him to just, like, get the full lesson. get to his death and then go back. Let it really play out. (laughs) And then get to, like, start completely over. Yeah, I suppose. I guess that's fine. He might still have some hubris if he got released after 10 years. Also, okay, my other thing is, like, why did Christopher Walken choose Adam Sandler for this? Like, he he's not, like, a great guy, and, like, uh, a lot of his jokes are at the expense of marginalized people, but, like, that's not why he's being punished. <laughs> um, and why is this man being punished so much? Um, like, he just seems pretty average. Ultimately. Well, in the end, he's not punished in any sort of lasting way. Like, he's just being taught a lesson. He's just suffering for a long – for – he has a a period of suffering. Yeah. Yeah, I think – yeah, I think there's just – he just wants to teach him a lesson. And also, maybe the angel of death is, like, crueler than other angels because he has to be. Wait, but why – why this guy? Like, why is Angel I mean, of Death? Maybe it's a guy? lot of people, right? Like, this is the story we're following, but angels are every, you know, it, in a world where there are angels, presumably they are all over the place. And he could have be, he could be doing this, you know, you think he's just waiting for Adam Sandler to call him? Like, I think he's doing maybe. this. He's doing, he could be doing this for like he is. 20 guys at a time, you know? <laughs> Only guys, though. Yeah. I think. We are supposed to believe that that he would do this for a lot of people, and we are just following Adam Sandler's story. All right, fair enough, but uh, I I'm a little skeptical. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I, I have an issue of like, so he at one point uses the remote. He thinks on the TV, and it like pauses his wife, and he doesn't notice. And then like a little while later, he 
randomly points the remote at his dog and presses yes. the volume down. That was my biggest thing too. I wrote it in all caps. You didn't notice when your wife was paused, but you did <laughs> notice the dog. But also, why did you pick up the remote and point it? Why, first of all, why do you have the remote down there? There's no TV or anything down there. Second of all, True. why are you pointing your remote at the dog? Like, this isn't like a, like you're, you don't have an audience. Like, are you doing a bit? Like, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't think that that would work. So why would he do that? So it's like you had this organic movie, you had this organic moment where he could have discovered that something weird was going on, but then you bypassed that and then manufactured this weird moment where this guy is pointing a remote at a dog. (laughs) You don't do that to your dogs? No, not yet. Maybe I'll start. Why don't you, maybe you should try. Definitely, definitely strange. And then also, like I said, he's so stupid. Like, All he has to do to keep, like, both sides of his life happy is pause, get his work done, and then he can go with his wife and kids for the weekend. Right. Yeah. That's what I thought, too, was, like, why are you – I mean, the the crux of this movie is, like, are are the straights okay to me? Because it's, like (laughs) – No. Basically, he's, like – the answer is no. He's just like, I don't like my wife. I don't like I don't like talking to her women. All they do is nag, nag, nag. Like that's the that's basically the thesis of this movie. The the whole right. the whole like central relationship is based on the idea that like women are annoying and men who are married to them are all annoyed in the same way. Well, I I think it's more about from what I gathered anyway, and this is also could be my own like life experiences coming in. But like, I think it's more about his unhealthy relationship to money than it, which also obviously he has an unhealthy relationship with his wife, but it's also like he really genuinely thinks that like everyone in his family's life will be better if he can just like make partner and make a lot more money. And like, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of issues with, with this, obviously like that, you know, one is because we see he, the flashback, the flashback to his parents. Uh, he's at the lake with his parents and he invites everyone over for dinner and they're like, oh, no, we got to go. We're going to go watch Three's Company in so-and-so's Winnebago because they have like a big Winnebago and his family right. is just like Rather camping in a tent. tent. Right. So mm-hmm. we're supposed to lead that to believe that like he didn't have money growing up and now he wants to have a lot of money. He's clearly fine. They are in a nice house yeah. full of stuff. Like Right, yeah. <laughs> everyone... Also, he is an architect, so he is making good money, yeah. even if he's not part of He's making money, fine. And like, um, I mean, like I said, this could be my own life experiences covering it, because this was a thing with my parents, too, where it's like, we had a lot of money growing up, but like, my dad didn't have a lot of money growing up and was constantly like, wanting to make a lot of money and like put himself under stress which he said was like for the family and like was you know whereas in like my mom was like I'm fine <laughs> like mm-hmm. we're good right right well I mean again it, to me this comes back to are the straights okay because it's a lot about like um he, the need to provide for your family right um and be be the breadwinner and those ideas about like heteronormative roles which I think right. in this movie are like on full display for sure it's it seems like she is he is the provider she's a, a housewife it seems it it would seem that way yes um and there yeah there's just a lot of like 
it, it's interesting because I feel like it, in some ways, it's an exploration of those heteronormative roles and the, um, you know, the ways that uh, these nuclear family roles are failing all of us. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't go far enough mm-hmm. to make the make that point in a coherent way. Right. Well, and it's also the problem is balance, right? Like you can. I also don't think we need to be teaching anyone that their entire life has to be their relationship or even family, right? Like I know that's like a taboo thing to say, right? Yeah. The, Kids but are the important. moral of the story. Right. The moral of the story in the end is like you family comes first. That's the whole thing that he says. Right. And I don't think so that So that's like, what they're trying to communicate. Right. But I don't think that like need – like there is – he still is going to go to work and have a job, right? And a lot of people need to go to work and have jobs. And like a lot of people don't have the choice he has, right? Like he could work Mm -hmm. normal nine to five hours and still be able to provide this house and clothes and food for his family. Like a lot of people, because wages are stagnating and everything else is going up. Like a lot of people don't have that choice. A lot of people can't see their families because they're working two jobs to just like make rent. Yes. But- Regardless, I think like we also are are seeing the opposite sort of movies with female leads. We're entering like a girl boss era where like for sure Devil Wears Prada is a great example. Right, exactly. We're seeing movies where like women shouldn't just drop everything for their men, but men or like mm-hmm. for their relationships. Uh they should go out and get careers and like have independent lives. And we're at the same time seeing movies, a lot of movies. Like I can think of many examples. For some reason, the one coming close to my head immediately is Bringing Down the House with Steve Martin and Queen Latifah. Um, I have never seen that. A lot of things happen. Uh, They are not romantically involved in the movie. A lot of things happen. That's unfortunate. That'd be a fun couple. (laughs) Um, No, she's with uh, Eugene Levy. Oh, I love that too. Wow. Um, And he ends up at the very end getting back with his ex-wife. And like in the beginning, they've gotten divorced because he's a workaholic. And at the very Mm -hmm. end, there's just like a shot of him. Like he's getting a business call on his cell phone. He like throws his cell phone out the window for his wife or whatever. So my point is just like, I don't think at the same time we're telling women like you're allowed to have lives outside the house. We're telling men like have less lives outside the house. And I just think like, what about balance? Like what if we were allowed to like have, like enjoy our job? Like clearly what he's doing is not balanced, right? He is prioritizing his job way more than his family in a way that's unhealthy for him and everyone around him. But right. I also don't think that you need to, Give up your whole life. Yeah. Right. He enjoys being an architect. There's nothing wrong with that. He shouldn't be, like, trying to climb the ladder as hard. But, like, I think you're allowed to, like, have your family and have a domestic life and also have, like, a social life or, like, a a professional life. Um, And I I think balance is an important component that almost all these movies miss. (laughs) Yeah, of course. And I mean, one thing that's important to think about here is like uh, all of these movies are being made under capitalism. So to Mm -hmm. a certain extent, like balance doesn't figure into this. Um, And the idea of like being able to have it all uh, is not actually possible Um, and or maybe is only possible at the end of the movie, which is, you know, 
in in real life not necessarily uh, actually real. Well, and is possible for a middle class white family, right? Like if, if with yeah, a professional sure. degree, exactly. You know, yeah, exactly. Um, I do I do think your point is really interesting and it made me think the thing that was coming up for me when you were talking was um I was thinking about what would it be like if this were reversed um mm-hmm. gender wise and would uh, a woman with a professional career ha- how would how would that would be a much more interesting movie um mm-hmm. because the demands that are placed on women under these systems especially women who have careers are so much more right. um, than even a man who feels that he needs to provide for his family, which of course, like that's not to be understated, but um, yeah. just like the the number of demands placed on women. So I think that would be a very interesting movie. Yeah, we didn't I, I mean, I feel like a woman would definitely utilize the pause feature more to like get things done. Like also yeah. <laughs> when, when his wife came down and was like, I need you to watch the kids for 10 minutes so I can like do A, B, and C chores. I'm like, again, the smart, and he's like, oh, I have to work. And it's going like, a, you could pause, do all your work in the pause, or B, pause, do the chores your wife needs to do. And then be like, I've already done them. Right. And then she would be obsessed with you because the bar for men adding, like helping with housework is very low. Yeah, that's very true. The other thing that I'm thinking of is like, could he have shared this remote with his wife? Yeah, that doesn't even, the thought of like talking to someone about it does not even cross his mind. Mm-mm. No, he's just yeah. like, this is my solitary experience and journey. Right. He's and a very selfish that's, person. That's the problem. That's the biggest uh, issue, I think, with the relationship with his wife is that, well, which we can talk about in yeah. the in the romance section. But I mean, we can um, just, there's, we can, we can use this as a segue to move to that if you want. All right. Let's do that. Does their, Does their love stand, stand the test, the test of, of time? time? Yeah, I feel like the main thing that's shitty about their relationship is that like they do zero sharing and mm-hmm. ze- they're not a partnership. No, they're like, there's no. They're, yeah, exactly. Who also fuck, but only with begrudging foreplay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was he thought the the thing. One of the things that he fast forwards through, like in the part where he's very excited about. Um, you know, the the powers that he now has mm-hmm. is the, this foreplay during sex. Right. He accidentally fast forwards through all of sex, but he's trying to just fast forward through the foreplay. He's so upset when his wife implies that they should like do some foreplay. He literally says something like, can't you just like picture what we did last time? Yeah, it's so ugh, the sex, it's awful. It's all about him. He I, does not care. He, he does not care at all about his wife's pleasure. Not no. not at all. Also, the way that they depict the sex is um, <laughs> like in shadow. It's like a shadow uh, a silhouette. And he's going obviously like very fast because he's fast forwarding. Um, and uh, it's only missionary. Yeah. There's never anything else. Well, it's because he's on once he's fa- when he's fast forwarding, he's quote unquote on autopilot. But I doubt he's doing much else anyway. No, he's not. That's that's his idea of sex is uh, just just jackhammer away. Also, uh, I got so upset when she said he comes in right before they have sex. She says, "I feel bad. We keep fighting," and I was like, "You should not feel bad. You keep fighting." you like he is being a dick to you like she said i feel right. bad we keep fighting as if it was like a mutual fault thing where it's like you should just feel bad that he is a bad partner 
he's a jerk and not listening to you. He's actively trying to fast forward through life so he doesn't have to listen to you, his wife. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was glad that it during the time that he was being punished, I was glad that she ended up with someone who seemed to love and care for yes. her. Yes. Bill seems like a great second husband. He's supporting the kids. He's like yes, excited you, about their yeah. lives. And at the end when he's like flips him off and then is like, you're okay. I'm like, what you should say is like, thank you for taking care of my wife and children while I've been like an absent father. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. No, it's true. Like even even at the end when he's finally learned his lesson, he still has to flip off Bill, which is like, has he learned his lesson? And that's the thing is it's like, you are the villain here. Bill is not. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Also, it's like Bill is silly because he wears a Speedo. Yeah, I, I don't know. This man that who, again, has, like, come in, is very is very polite to Adam Sandler and is, like, yeah, takes very, care of his wife and very children. kind to his wife. His children his daughter, really like him, calls yeah, him dad. Yeah, his daughter calls him dad and says, I have two dads, which is nice. Yeah, Bill seems great. I don't know. Justice I've for Bill. Bill and Donna's love stands the test of time. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure Adam Sandler's and uh, Donna's love. He do. doesn't remember what their song is without going back. I don't know. I don't have a lot of hope for them once he finally wakes up and decides to like turn over a new leaf. They would have to go to couples therapy, which apparently is something that he finds bad and embarrassing. Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, anything in this movie that is good is uh, seen as bad. <laughs> Yeah, when he fast forwards like the year and a half, they're in couples therapy and he seems unhappy about that and says to her when they're in couples therapy, like, why can't we just talk? And it's like, uh, and it's like, well, you're not because you won't talk about anything because you're a bad partner. And yeah. You always have been. Yeah. And she's the perfect wife. Like she's do- like doing all the things wife should do. Uh, and it's like hanging out with his in-law with her in-laws his parents all the time yeah and because it's super hot the whole thing is just i don't know everyone is just doing their roles and it, it the the vibe is of their relationship is so like 80s sitcom not even 80s you know, like like 80s all, 90s whatever. like according to jim you know sure yes just sitcom wife and sitcom husband who's a deadbeat and you know but isn't it funny how wives are so annoying and I just don't know if it's gonna get better I really don't right I think he'll be a better father yeah I think he will too I think he'll and he'll maybe like slow down a little bit but I also think that like based on the way that they act and the way that I I don't think that um changing their roles or the way that they communicate is something that he has learned I think he's still going to be stuck in these like heteronormative gender right. gendered roles and they will go back to being um, at each other's throats. Uh, he might occasionally like remember to do a cute thing for her, but it's not going to be like a, a better relationship day to day. Wow. All right. Moving on. Ladies, Ladies did, did we, we just, just time, time travel back, back to, to the, the 1950s? 1950s? I mean, kind of. <laughs> Oof, yeah, this movie, really rough on the politics. Yeah, well, and also just, like, to wrap up from the romance, like like we said, a very traditional, like, man-woman Incredibly. romance yeah. mm-hmm. um, with sort of no room for any movement uh, or any sharing of responsibilities. 
Um, and also, like I said, very, very mild childhood trauma. That's like, just go to therapy. Yeah, just go to therapy. It, the, the problem with this movie is every joke or quote unquote joke is punching down. Yes. Every single one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, and also they did the classic thing, which we've talked about for, I think, like most notably with the the man with the rain in his boots. They did the thing where they made his boss this huge, giant asshole misogynist. And we're like, look, we know that this is misogyny. This is an asshole to make it seem like right, Adam Sandler right. is like a good guy in comparison when it's like, OK, but just he's not. He, he's still bad. Like he can be bad and not be as bad as David Hasselhoff. Right, right. He can be bad in much subtler and still insidious ways. Yeah. Like, constantly talking about his daughter's boobs. God, there was so much. Also, like, I had never seen this movie, but uh, the second I saw the way that all of the women in it were dressed, I was like, oh, cool. We're going to have a slowed down boobs bouncing show. Yeah. (laughs) That is coming down the pike. There is no way that's not happening. Wow. Yeah, good call. we did. We did get it. Yes, we did. I don't know. It just feels like it was one of those things where it's like this this is the the natural conclusion of Adam Sandler being given this power is um and by power yeah. I don't mean like the power with the remote. I mean the power uh to like make a movie. <laughs> yeah, both. I mean, yeah, all the assistants and like Rachel Dratch in comparison. Justice for Rachel Dratch. <laughs> Justice for Rachel Dratch. My god. Yeah, I'm she's like the frumpy paycheck, assistant, and then everyone else in who are assistants at his architecture firm are like models. And then, of course, eventually there's like some gross stuff with David Hasselhoff sexually harassing them, and then leading a sexual harassment seminar. Yeah, which is like winkity wink sexual harassment seminars, aren't they silly? Yeah. Again, Adam Sandler can't stop talking about his daughter's boobs. Literally, every time he sees her more grown up, and then. I thought it was so telling, like it was very much like telling on yourself moment for like men mm-hmm. generally when he, he sees a picture <laughs> of his adult son with a hot blonde lady in his son's office. And he's like, damn, is that like your girlfriend? Would I, why, whatever. Uh, she's super hot. And he's like, that's your daughter. That's my sister. And he's like, oh, gross you're keeping people like you're protecting her right you're keeping people away from her why sh- she should cover and right, it's just like right. that's the same person you're treating the same woman as both a sex object and as someone who should never be allowed to have sex right yeah no the same it's the same person now that it's your daughter you're not allowed to <laughs> amazing amazing distillation of that page you're you're totally yeah. right <laughs> Right. She's not deserving of protection if she's someone else's daughter. But if she's my daughter, then uh, she must not be touched ever. Then she shouldn't even be allowed to decide if she wants to have sex. Right. I don't know if you caught the moment at the beginning where he was talking. He made some reference to sex and the little kids were like, what does that mean? And he says, uh, you shouldn't know about that for 10 years, at least 10 years. And then he goes, well, 10 for you pointing to the son and 30 for you pointing to the daughter. Yeah. And it's like, wow, that's disgusting. Classic and gross. Yeah. I mean, we can run down the list of like uh, complete garbage fires of jokes if you want but I think it might be better to just say that like if you think that there's like a a group that he could offend in this movie like he has done it yeah foreign names are funny also did you catch that that was Rob Schneider playing the oh I did not no playing the Middle Eastern prince 
Did not. Great casting. Yeah, we don't need to go through all of it. There's a lot of really bad jokes. I, I do want to call out specifically the Adam Sandler ha- as a baby had a tiny penis to just be oh like, my God, what? So so he sees his birth and then the doctors and his parents are like, oh, wow. Like, is that a girl? Oh, no, no, it's a boy, whatever. And then it's like, oh, that was a tiny. They're mocking it. Adam Sandler's defensive. I'm like, that is a baby. We have to talk. Yeah. We have to like worry about a baby's penis size. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's just so bad. There's just so many things that like are not funny. Like I I believe that Adam Sandler like has a f- is a funny person, but there's so many unfunny things. Yeah, I I will say uh Adam Sandler does an accurate description of what being a boss is though cuz he says his wife's like is this going to get better once you're the boss like are you just going to keep having to work all the time and he's like no when i am the boss i'm going to hire a bunch of idiots to do my job for me and i'm like never going to have to do anything and i was like all right that's, that's a pretty accurate true. description of yeah, being a boss fair enough unless there's anything else you want to call out specifically as far as like any uh specific jokes or the homophobia or the, there's a tra- there's a lot of transphobia but there's a specific like Rachel Drash unshockingly a man there's a lot of transphobia <laughs> yeah Rachel Drash yeah we don't need to go through that right feel free to uh contact your your fair hosts of the pod if you would like a rundown of the specific of a specific group that you might be part of <laughs> and need to know about the joke yeah all right unless and there's unless there's anything else specific you want to call out I I will I will move into my special corner of this category <laughs> Please move into your special corner. I can't wait. I mean, nestle into my corner. Uh, yeah, nestle in. Yeah. <laughs> Buckle up, folks, because this is going to be a ride. So there is constant overwhelming uh, fat phobia and diet culture in this movie all the time. He eats a lot of junk food and fast food, and everyone is like, you're going to be 2,000 pounds one day, and you're shortening your life, blah, blah, blah. He does wake up in 2023 super fat um it's unclear if it's a fat suit or just like christina and i thought what it looked like to me was like a adam sandler's face cgi'd onto a fat man's body oh i i am guessing it was a fat suit but uh i do not know there was a lot of cgi in this movie i think once he's in clothes it's a fat suit I think when he's naked. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's very possible. It's Body ad- double. Yeah. Then he has liposuction, uh, whatever. Constant. I-, I want a disclaimer this with I'm not a doctor. I'm not I- an expert in this category. I have not like done extensive research. Um, I have done research on like what I'm going to say. And I have like sources to back it up if you don't believe me. Um, and I also have like my own experience with ha- in eating disorder and fat phobia I have a lot of patterns of dieting, binging, orthorexia, um, and I am considered by BMI terms obese, which is an offensive term. Fat, not an offensive term. Obese, an offensive term. Um, And I wear a size like 12 to 14. Um, And even saying that like on the podcast is scary for me because I know there's like going to be a media judgment or like an image in your head if you don't know me personally or what I look like. Anyway, if you want to dive more into this subject with like actual, an actual expert, um, I could give you a whole list. I will just like say for minimalism's sake, um, I recommend Aubrey Gordon. Um, she wrote a book, What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat. Uh, she also is on Instagram at your YR fat friend. Um, and she has a podcast called Maintenance Phase. And she's great. Yeah. I'm going to jump through all of this and we'll see how much of it gets. We'll cut out. Okay. okay. So 
Throughout this movie, health and thinness are equated. Again, in the same breath that they're like, you're shortening your life, they're like, you're going to be 2,000 pounds. A, that's not even a thing in this movie. In this movie, he gets cancer, (laughs) which is not something related to, as far as science can tell us, not something related to like being fat. Also, it seems like, if I can jump in, it seems Mm -hmm. like his final heart attack happens because of stress. Because at the time when he has his heart attack, he is thin. Mm -hmm. Um, So all of this like, you're going to shorten your life by being fat stuff is uh, not even borne out in the movie. Yeah, stress is definitely what is hurting him way more than any food. Yeah, BMI is not a real thing. I mean, it was created as like a statistical measurement for like white European men. That's how it was created. It was created as like a statistical analysis tool, not a health expert or scientific thing. And then proven more by the fact that in June 1998, they just lowered the standard um for like what percentage of bmi was overweight and obese so people went to sleep in a normal weight category and woke up and now they were overweight or obese no scientific evidence for that makes a lot of sense yeah no scientific evidence and shortly after this happened a lot of new weight loss drugs were introduced by the fda or like were approved by the fda so huh interesting like kalina was pointing out uh In this movie, stress seems way worse for him than the food he's eating. It is implied that he is, like, stress eating. But the thing is, is he's stress eating because he's stressed. And also, (laughs) you only – you don't necessarily – like, I feel like if he didn't think that he shouldn't be eating those things, those probably wouldn't be the things he would turn to when he was stress eating. If he felt like he could just, like, eat them normally. Right. And stress – is the biggest indicator for health problems in all people and include and especially in fat people who are exposed to a higher amount of stress because fat phobia living in a fat phobic society is super stressful and also constant dieting and weight cycling causes a lot of the same things to happen in your body that stress does for instance A 2016 analysis found significant association between a person's experience of weight stigma and increased incidence of heart disease, stomach ulcers, diabetes, and high cholesterol even after controlling for BMI, activity level, and socioeconomic status. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, And other studies have found weight stigma consistently raises our cortisol levels and other physiological stress responses, which are consistently tied to negative health outcomes. I mean, this is not even to mention the fact that like fat people don't go to the doctor because they're just going to doctors don't take that people seriously. And um, Mm -hmm. for instance, like they find that tumor in his brain, which I know they're not implying that like it has anything to do with him not going to the doctor because he's fat, but there's actual like so many stories out there where people have gone to the doctor with like very bad symptoms and the doctor's just been like, well, you just need Mm -hmm. to lose weight. And then it turns out later that they've had tumors and people have died. (laughs) And if they had gone as a thin person, they would have found the tumors because they wouldn't have just been like, you need to lose weight and send them home. Right. They would have actually done some tests and provided some medical care. Right. Also, he – because he's eating junk food in front of his his kids, particularly his son is eating what he eats. And the mom is constantly like – mom and um, Adam Sandler's parents are constantly like – don't, you know, don't eat that. Don't be like your dad. You're going to also like also like you're going to wake up and be 200 pounds. And and then his son, which, sorry, slight deviation. Did you realize that was Jonah Hill? Was that Jonah Hill or was that off-brand Jonah Hill? Okay. So Christine and I had the same moment where we're like, is that Jonah Hill? No, that's off-brand Jonah Hill. But then we watched the credits. That was Jonah Hill. 
oh, what the hell? Yeah. It really didn't look like – it looked like off-brand Jonah Hill. It looked like him when he was lying down and the shot was like from above his head. And then he was walking up the stairs and I was like, that's not Jonah Hill. That's off-brand Jonah Hill. Anyway. All right. I'm glad we have the same experience of that. His uh, teenage son, probably like 17, apparently played by Jonah Hill, is seen as like very fat. And then – Later is also seen as thin. Adam Sandler gets thin by going through a lot of faster bypass surgery, and his son mm-hmm. apparently gets thin by exercising five times a week. And it's also extremely celebrated by Adam Sandler. Right. That his son is now thin. Right. The designation of bad food is more harmful for kids than eating a Twinkie. You can find a lot of articles on this actually now because a lot of parents are putting their kids on diets for like COVID weight. Oh, God. They're also like, was I don't know if you heard about this, like last year, the year before Weight Watchers tried to launch like a, a kid's line. Yeah, I, I heard about that from yeah. Maiden's face. Yes. So uh, unsurprisingly, putting children on diets has not been shown to lead to healthy relationships with food. It has been shown wow, to- how weird. Linked to eating disorders, weight cycling, and even an increased chance of obesity later in life. Who could have predicted this? Children are naturally intuitive about their food. And when we start telling them not to eat certain things, that there are good foods and bad foods, we, and this is uh, a quote from um, Christina Hoyt Alvarez, who's a clinical nutritionist from Philadelphia. We create a mentality of, and sometimes actual, food scarcity that sets them up for a very difficult food relationship in the future. Children will start hiding food, binging when they're allowed to enjoy a forbidden food, and become obsessed with the off-limits food. So- Yeah, just, I mean, and that's not to say you can't tell kids to eat their vegetables, right? Like, I also want to make clear, like, people think, like, people who are, like, anti-diet culture or, like, uh, fat activists are, like, don't eat a vegetable. Like, you can, you should have nutritious foods in your life, but marking foods as, like, off-limits or bad is a different thing than, like, adding healthy foods to a place. Right. It's about it's about policing and right. uh, restriction, ultimately, uh, yeah. more than it is about um, good versus bad foods. Yeah. Don't be a cop, is what we're saying. Yeah. With yourself. <laughs> or your children or anyone. Definitely not with your children. Also, fun fact, a lot of junk food brands are owned by the same people who own uh, diet food companies. It's so gross. It's so disgusting. The whole industry is so fucked up. Weight Watchers was bought by Heinz, the ketchup company, in 1978, uh-huh. um, and then later sold it a profit. Slim Fast is owned by the same company that owns Ben & Jerry's and Wall's Sausages. Jenny Craig is owned by Nestle, which also sells candy, chocolate, milk, ice cream, etc. These um, motherfuckers! Yeah. And the diet industry is valued at $192.2 billion as of 2019. I'm sure it only went Oof. up with COVID. Yeah, And a lot of research that challenges the fat is bad uh, is ignored because weight loss sells and we live in capitalism hell. And then a right. lot of the science done around weight and health is funded by drug and food manufacturers with obvious interest in maintaining diet culture. Mm-hmm. And there's always uh, – the other thing is that I, I feel like is happening now is things like Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers are like maybe out of vogue because they're like – you know, we're on this like wellness thing right. rather right. than like – diets themselves and it's all just like diets and in sheep's clothing yeah now weight watchers is like ww newm is like we're not a diet you're a diet it's it's a it's a calorie tracker (laughs) like that's all it is (laughs) which brings us to diets don't work study after study shows that diets no matter what kind don't work 
you initially will lose five to 10% of your body weight, and then the weight will come back, usually with more weight on top of it. There was actually a study that was done uh, that found that uh, men and women who participate in formal weight loss programs actually gain significantly more weight over a two-year period than those who do not. Um, Mm -hmm. The cycle of being restrictive and binging makes people feel like a failure, even though literally it happens to everyone and the system is designed to fail and creates a really unhealthy cycle of loss and regain. Uh, I have a quote from William Jerush, a registered dietitian based in New York City, that says, the diet industry continues to make us feel as though we failed, even though studies continue to show that not only do weight loss diets not work, but in many cases they lead to weight cycling, which can bring a host of adverse health consequences. By continuing to equate health with weight, we are being pushed further from our ability to access the tools actually needed for health and a healthy relationship with food. Um, there are more people currently on diets. This is, I'm done with the quote. Sorry. The, um, mm-hmm. There are also more people on diets than there were 10 years ago, and obesity rates have increased by 8% in the past 10 years. So, like, if diets worked, they'd be working. And there were more people on diets. That would right. mean that there were right. fewer, but no. Anti-diet culture people love to bring up the Minnesota Starvation Project from 2005, which I will also do mm-hmm. here. Fascinating. Um, 36 men had calories. This uh, It's always said as like significantly restricted. And researchers noticed a, chance in, a change in their personalities and all of them developed obsessions and food rituals. And I want to point out, significantly restricted means they were on 1,600 calorie diets a day. Mm-hmm. Which compared to the way that most women restrict on diets. That's usually like that's a maintenance level of like that was what I was told should be my maintenance level. Right. I I've been on like eight hundred calorie day diets. Oprah, when she did I'm I don't know if you listened to the maintenance based episode on Oprah and the Wagon of Fat, did a four hundred calorie day diet for a few months. What? Yeah. That's nothing. That's no food. Yes. That's completely starving yourself. Yeah. Um, and wow very upsetting also 800 calories a day is not is starving yourself also you i mean you knew me when i was doing that so i know i was it was yeah it was a tough time (laughs) okay so all of this to say thinness and health don't equal each other like helena said so adam sandler at one point has gastro bypass presumably is doing the exact same like food habits right but no one cares now because he's thin Oh no, and then they even they even use that opportunity to make another fat joke and they say um you're the only person who's ever gained weight on um chemo. Ke- while doing chemo. Yeah. So I don't know I don't even know what the purpose of that joke was. So presumably in the years between the gastro bypass and his second heart attack, he is eating and stuff the same way, but like I said everyone's like, "Oh, it's fine cuz you're not going to get fat." Cuz you're thin. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, and then his son is like, I lost all the weight by just exercising five times a week. And like, again, no one is saying exercise is bad for you. Exercise is really good for you. It's good for your heart. It's like good for for all of your, no matter what happens with your weight, like it feels good. Like movement should be a joyful thing, not like a punishment. Like nobody is saying you shouldn't eat vegetables or like exercise, but don't do it with the goal of weight loss. Because as I've just laid out it's not gonna work you're only gonna right. hurt yourself more weight cycling like i said hurts your insides way more than like being fat does and right and so it's honestly unlikely that in my opinion he could have lost that amount of weight by just working out five times a week also the way that 
there there is a moralistic element to yes. that that piece of this is like right. well he lost weight the the good way because he's he lost weight by exercising whereas Adam Sandler like took the shortcut because right. he's a bad person still right um, yes that's another good point where it's like yeah we can't judge people for being fat and then also and then we also judge them for like doing, the way that they yeah. lose weight once they do lose weight yeah. even if it's like we want them to lose weight so badly we will hurt them we will cut right. open their insides right we will prescribe to them what is seen as a dis- a disease for thin people right like 800 right, calories exactly. as a th- if a thin person was only eating 400 or 800 calories a day we would bring them to a rehab because they are killing themselves because of anorexia right. yeah and then also like you said, there's a moralism about this, right? And people feel like they can talk about people's weight and like moralize about fat people because of health, right? And I've just talked mm-hmm. a lot about how like health and thinness, not the same thing. But there's also the aspect of it where it's like, why do you care about if someone else is healthy? There is such, right. there's a moralization, a moralizing of like health that is um, just, it's just to cover for fat phobia and ableism. Right. What's so crazy to me is that like under capitalism, we're always told that like everyone needs to provide for themselves, like up by your bootstraps, you're responsible for only you. And then when it comes to fat people, it's like, well, I don't want to support someone who's like sitting on the couch eating bonbons all day. Right. And it's like, wait, so which is it? Like, are you supporting people or are you not? Because right. it sounds like. Yeah. Because if they were they were thin and poor, you still wouldn't support them. But right. since they're fat and poor, they're like they don't deserve anything. Right, and like they're seen as like a drain on the the like let's say healthcare industry, even though we don't have universal right healthcare. a drain on society. But like, what's like what society is exactly supporting them? Like, please point to right. it because I, I don't see the resources actually being used that way. Plus, like I said, uh, fat people are much like less likely to get to go to the doctor. So. Sure. Yeah. But even even the the healthcare that they're supposedly draining, right. they're not receiving. So what what are we talking about here? Right. And uh, yeah. So I just want to like point out that while I, health and thinness should not be equated, we should also not skip over the fact that like someone else's health is none of our business. Um, right. Not right. only is someone else's body none of our business, someone else's health is none of our business. Again. Not only is it phobic, but like we could go into how ableist it is. Yeah, it's it's not your business what someone else does with their body. Right. Fat people are humans. They're mm-hmm. human beings and they deserve to be loved and have sex and not see themselves mocked when they go to the movies. Um, yes. We, not seen as like the central joke of the last – of the middle third of the movie. That's the entire – that's like the biggest joke of the whole third of that movie. And there is a part um, – in the toward closer to the beginning where uh morty comments how hot adam sandler's wife is and he's like you should have yeah. seen the ladies i had before donna and um mm-hmm. we see like two women he slept with both of them are are fat and that is the whole joke uh, morty's like oh right. yeah he asks about the first one is this a man or a woman and then the yep. second one he says what is this animal planet which again if you are think about a if you are an overweight woman seeing that again the constant messaging is you don't deserve to be loved or be seen as a, uh like a have sex which desirable sexual right. person yeah. which and we know this some of the danger of this women uh fat women are more likely to be sexually assaulted and less likely to report right um 
because people think fat women are going to be grateful for any sexual attention or sex they get. And Mm -hmm. then people don't believe that someone would want to have sex with a fat person so bad that they would rape them. Right. Yeah. Um, Which like leads me to also, this is not just me doing like PC identity politics, which it never is, right? Like identity politics matter, right? Like the, all these things matter. Uh, All the, all this messaging is harmful in a way that has like real world consequences. Um, Mm -hmm. We've seen this a lot with like rape culture in movies. And also like, like I said, if, you know, if you're a fat person watching this, the whole messaging is, is like, you're not like worth life until you're thin. It's so fucked right, up. Until you're thin again. Cause he's, he's like fast forward to a time when things are good and yeah. it's a time when he's thin again. Um, in a 2019 survey, 24% of physicians. So a full quarter, um, admitted that they were uncomfortable having friends in larger bodies. And 18% said they felt quote unquote disgusted when treating a patient with a high BMI. That's awful. You, I can't even formulate a a proper thought to that. That's just disgusting. Yeah. Um, I also don't understand why Adam Sandler's voice changed when he got fat. (sighs) Related, apropos maybe of nothing, but. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a very good point. Yeah. I mean, the the other thing is like his fatness is is the ultimate punishment for him. Right. Yeah. His his death is not even as bad. I, I don't think his death is portrayed as ad, as bad as his fatness. Right. His death is ultimately redeeming, whereas his fatness is just the worst of the worst. And that, to me, is the thing that makes this movie so harmful and insidious. It's disgusting. Yeah. yeah and this is like – I feel like this is also uh, – Adam Sandler is guilty of this a lot. Um, of putting on oh, fat yeah. suits. <laughs> Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of the worst offenders of of the fat suit problem. Right. All right. That's that's it for Paige's fat phobia corner. Uh, like I said, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of a lot of other people doing a lot of good work um, around this. Read some books, listen to some podcasts, just or just follow like some cool people on Instagram. Like very easy. or follow Paige because she posts a lot of good stuff, That's and I've true. learned so much from her. You can also follow me because I will repost all these other people, and then you can find them through my Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> all right. This brings us to. Is, is it, it the, the best, best of times or the worst of times? So here's where we talk about if you should watch it, in what context we rate it on uh, our doomsday clock, uh, you know, trademark Stephen Shore, um, from noon to midnight, noon being, oh, no, shake my head, gouge my eyes, pull them out, throw them across the room <laughs> before you watch stomp this movie, on them. stomp on them, uh, midnight being like A++, highly recommend, would watch it in theaters. Yeah, I don't know. That wasn't. I'm getting a headache. <laughs> um, <laughs> we just talked about a lot of stuff, so I don't blame you. Yeah, midnight's good. Okay, noon bad, midnight, midnight good. good. <laughs> noon bad, midnight good. Um, Helena, how would you? Um, I feel honestly, like I know this, what you're. This movie is just really, really harmful and kind of boring, also and predictable. I'm gonna give it a noon. I did not like it. I would not watch yeah. it again. I. There wasn't really anything to recommend it in my eyes. After wa- after we finished watching it last night, 
like I said, because I went in with such low expectations and there were parts where I was like slightly moved or like slightly entertained. I was like, maybe I'll give this like a one or two because like I had more fun watching it than I did watching like Winter's Tale. But now after we've talked about like how like doing my notes and like talking about how harmful it is, I I also think I need to go. It's just like there's so, so much bad that it can't you can't even enjoy the like the fun five minutes of like time travel antics. Yeah, Um, the there the fleeting moments of like fun are just almost immediately followed by a joke that is at someone else's expense. Yeah. So I will also give us be give it a noon. We have a nooner. Yeah, we got a real nooner on our hands. And yeah, hopefully we watch something uh good next. We'll be back in no time at all.